0: amen well good morning would you please join me in opening up a bible to hebrews chapter 10 it's way near the back of your bible if you don't have one would love to uh, invite you to turn in a blue pew bible that you can find in front of you and hebrews 10 is located on page 1006 And just before we jump in, I do want to acknowledge that this being Move Up Sunday for all of our kids' ministries and youth ministries, uh, that today is especially a big day for our kindergartners who began with us in the service for the first time and now are downstairs in kids' worship for the first time. I know uh, our daughter Brinley is amongst those ranks. A lot of questions out of Brinley this morning. Uh, Just a lot of emotion, some anxiousness, you know. What's going on? Uh, she will probably be disappointed to find that I think snack time is removed from her life now on Sunday morning, uh, but we didn't even tell her that. Um, and, and then on, on the flip side, all of our sixth graders who are in the service with us this morning, you are not downstairs in kids' worship for the first time that it's being offered. And uh, that's the reason because you have graduated that ministry. And so I just want to say to our sixth graders in the room, um, on one hand, we want to celebrate that God continues to grow you in every way. And, and this is uh, maybe in some ways a small, but, but still meaningful benchmark of that growth in your life. And at the same time, while we celebrate, I want to acknowledge that for some of you, th- this might be a little bit of a difficult transition. Um... At the very least, it's, it's going to be different. And change, uh, whether you're young or old, is different and carries some angst with it. And our kids' worship program is incredible. And Miss Megan and her team are incredible. And so it's okay to admit, even if you're at an age where you'll struggle to admit this, that, it, that you're going to miss it a little bit. Um, and so wherever you might find yourself on that spectrum, um, our hope for you is the same. Uh, it is that God would now reveal himself to you in a truly supernatural way and meet you where you are as you hear the preaching of his word. And trust that in time and over time, God will grow you in this stage of your life while you can always be grateful for the foundational years you had in kids' worship. And so uh, just be be patient with yourself. Uh, Maybe I can extend that to parents of sixth graders and middle schoolers, be patient with them. This transition can be hard, but it is good. And then finally, uh, we do hope that you are planning on being part of the Now Youth Ministry uh, that launches tonight, as Francis um, announced, uh, 5 o'clock middle school start. Uh, I hope you're ready for that. We're excited for you that you're now able to step into that aspect of ministry at Grace Church. All right, well, with this morning, we are beginning a four-week sermon series called Future Grace. Grace. And if you're new to Grace Church within the past year, uh, which I know many of you are, uh, for the past now, I think, six or seven years, we have begun each fall ministry season with a short series related to the vision of our church. And so the reason we continue to do this every year is not because our vision changes every year. New year, new vision. No, that's not what happens here. Um, Our vision is to glorify God by making disciples who know Jesus Christ and make him known. And that's full stop. Uh, and all we do at grace funnels in and out of that vision. That the more we know Him, and we say know Him, we don't just mean know about Him, but to know Him in a way that where there's a relationship there. Uh, the more the Spirit shapes our lives, shapes our words and our actions and our desires to then make Him known. And so, at our core, each of us had the same internal problem: that we desire joy and meaning and fulfillment because God created us with those desires but we cannot produce it in ourselves. And for those who are here, for those watching online who believe the the, the primary foundational grace upon your life is the full recognition of that need and then having the eyes to see that knowing Jesus Christ is the foundational answer to the problem we share. And that will never change, to know him and make him known. But what does change is the way that we communicate and articulate and contextualize that unchanging vision to a constantly changing landscape of the church and of the culture around us. And so, with that kind of setup, what is future grace? Our hope is that this series will help us see that vision is never just words, but a word picture. That when the Lord casts vision for his people in his word, he gives them a picture of what his kingdom will look like. And and all the prophecies in the Old Testament in Daniel and Isaiah through to the uh, prophecies in the New Testament, ending the Bible with really a, a vision given to John in the book of Revelation of this new heavens and new earth. Those are not just words, it is a word picture of what the Lord will do. And when you get a word picture that grips you, it does a lot of things. It sparks hope in you. It sustains perseverance to keep going. It affirms your purpose. And it gives you a pathway to move towards that realized vision. And so with this series, with Future Grace, we want to zoom out for a few weeks. And we want to provide a picture. What does Grace Church look like five years from now? 10 years from now, if the Lord has not yet returned and we're sitting in 2030, what will that look like if we increasingly realize the vision of knowing Christ to make him known? And then how does that picture spark hope and provide a pathway to walk on together? And so I want to read a narrative description that I wrote that is a product of countless hours of prayer and discussion and collaboration over the past year and a half, really, amongst elders and staff. And our aim with this description, my aim, is not to wow you. I don't want you to be impressed or uh, maybe disappointed uh, or or make grace look like this kind of amazing out-of-this-world church. Our desire, truly, is to provide a picture that will hopefully, stir your affections first and foremost for Christ and his church, and then grow a conviction that says, I want to align my life with that. So this, hopefully, is going to be increasingly true of us into the future, and it'll be up on the screen. Grace Church, we are a passionate faith community on a journey together to disrupt the suburban pursuit of comfort and complacency. Rather than leading lives that are overwhelmingly busy and underwhelmingly impactful, we will raise up and deploy hundreds of people transformed by the gospel and spiritually formed in Christ for ministries of mercy and multiplication. Together, we know Christ and are equipped to make him known in the ways we commit to gather, grow, give, and go. We gather weekly as a faith family to exalt the name of God in a way that encourages us in the grace of the gospel and welcomes every age and background to encounter the love of Christ. We value an embodied communal setting where people don't prioritize personal desires at the expense of others and where faith is both awakened and strengthened through the elements of the gathering. Next, we grow by being intentionally engaged with one another throughout the week as the transformative power of the gospel frees us from the bondage of entitled privacy and relational isolation and ushers us into a faith family where we are truly known and loved as we are formed into the image of Christ. Next, we give sacrificially of our time, treasure, and talents in a way that is marked by generosity for the sake of living out our callings and giftings to build one another up in the fullness of Christ as well as address personal and systemic needs that promote human flourishing. Finally, we go as ambassadors of God to prioritize ministries of mercy and multiplication in the unique ways God has called and gifted us seeking to come alongside and advocate for marginalized groups in our local community and be involved in the planting and revitalization of healthy churches locally, regionally, and globally. Future grace. For the next four weeks, we're going to dig into the word and spend a week on the pathway of this. Gather, grow, give, and go. And beginning with number one, the sermon is entitled, On Sundays We Gather. And with that said, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And you can follow along as I read verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen. There's a historian, his name is Justo Gonzalez, and he wrote a little book a couple years ago called A Brief History of Sunday. And he traces the way societies and countries treat the day Sunday. And as you might expect, in the Western world, uh, Sunday was hugely impacted in the 4th century when this man named Constantine, the emperor of Rome, converted to Christianity, or at least claimed to, different sermon, uh, but he converted to Christianity and declared Sunday to be a day of rest throughout the Roman Empire. And now up until that point, it's been a few hundred years since the church was birthed, Christians were already gathering together on Sundays, making the change from the Jewish Sabbath on Saturdays because Sunday, as the first day of the week, was the day Jesus rose from the dead. They began to call it the Lord's Day. And so we will gather on the Lord's Day. But due to work or employment obligations, they had to meet either, in some cases, in the middle of the night or early, early before sunrise, because the rest of the empire did not treat Sunday as a day of rest. It was a work day. So when Constantine made that change, declaring Sunday to be a day of rest instead of a day of work, Christians gathering together as local churches were now able to meet after sunrise, praise God, and throughout and during the day on the Lord's Day for the first time. And to speed this up, as the global expansion of Christianity long survived to the fall of the Roman Empire, this designation of Sunday as a day of rest expanded with it to the majority of the world. Speed up faster, which is why to this day, in large part, the reason banks and markets and governments and stock exchanges are closed on Sundays, and you can extend that further to even Bergen County, as many of you know, where retail stores are closed on Sunday, the one day of the week you can drive on Route 17 and pedal to the metal. (laughs) Why? Again, in large part, you can trace it back 1,700 years to this man named Constantine in Rome. But here's what's fascinating, and what Gonzalez pointed out in his book, that beginning now in the 20th century, the 1900s, and especially picking up steam even faster in the 21st century, is that Sunday has again become challenging for churches and Christians to gather due to the secularization of the Western world, but the threat, primary threat, is not a return to work, but another day of leisure. So let me put a quote from Husto um, on the screen. He writes this, Now, 17 centuries after Constantine, Christians find themselves once again in the midst of a society that is indifferent and sometimes even hostile to their values and beliefs and have to find ways to live those values, proclaim those beliefs, and worship their God with diminishing social support. For all but them, Sunday is just another day, a day of leisure and football and trips to the beach. For the church today, The way the world around us thinks of Sunday as just another day might make it more challenging to continue in our convictions and our practices. But it is just like the early church in the first few centuries, it should not dictate our convictions and our practices. And what are those convictions? There are many, but I think near or at the top of the list, it is the conviction that on Sundays we gather. And the entirety of the New Testament, I think, in large part, assumes the gathering of the church. Uh, For one, the the word church in Greek does not refer to a building. It refers, it literally means assembly. The definition is assembly. The church, the people of God assembled together or gathered together. And every letter written in the New Testament was written for the purpose of being read in the context of local gatherings you did not hear the scripture unless you were gathered with the church so that i think the majority of the new testament implies the gathering but then there are points throughout the new testament like here in hebrews 10 that explicitly speak of the vital aspect of a church that gathers Uh, hebrews as a whole is written to a church that is facing persecution and the heartbeat of the letter throughout is the theme of perseverance But the author does not just say, hey, church, you have to persevere. Just persevere. Rather, the author of Hebrews presents, I think, the fullest, most stylistically polished picture of Jesus as the Christ who transforms lives. That Jesus is greater than any angel and any priest. Jesus is greater than any way of life. Jesus is more impactful than any self help tip, any TED talk or podcast. He transforms more than any fitness program or bonus check. And the desire to change and improve your life does not bring about change. We know that. Just wanting to change does not bring about change. Jesus brings change. Jesus heals and he renews and he empowers and Jesus does to us and for us and in us what we cannot do ourselves. That's much of Hebrews. And then you get to the end of this letter and the author now starts to share implications of this renewal to encourage perseverance. And he begins these implications with, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. It is my growing conviction with each year in ministry that the Sunday gathering is the most important time of the week for believers who are genuinely trying to follow Christ in their lives. It is not the only aspect of following Christ, by a long shot. It is not the only aspect of a church but I do think it is the most important. It is the foundation of our discipleship strategy here at Grace Church is and always will be this, the weekly gathering. But why? Why does gathering regularly help the church to persevere? Why, as it comes to future grace, will a robust commitment to the gathering on Sunday be so vital for us now in 2025 and 2030? Perhaps let me ask another way. Uh, with, With all the technology we have, all the mobility we have, and options we have to spend our days, why should we remain committed and be boxed in to a specific time, at a specific place, with a specific people? For the rest of our time, I want to provide some shared language for us. To share why. And to this end, I have been helped greatly by a little book called Corporate Worship by a man named Matt Merker. And Merker boils down the purpose of the gathering as he scopes through scripture down to three things, and yes, they all start with the same letter: Exaltation, Edification, and Evangelism. Number one, we gather to exalt God. We gather to exalt God. First and foremost, the church gathers to behold God because he is God. Let us not skip too quickly past this, that we gather not in order to get something from him nor to keep him happy. This is not some aspect of some kind of divine Christianized uh, version of karma where um, if I do this for him, if I show up, look at me, I'm showing up, and he inevitably will take care of me. I do something for him, he will do something for me. No, we gather because of what he has provided for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So if your Bibles are still open, look down again at verse 19. After again a masterful presentation of who Jesus is and what he's done, he says, Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened, past tense, he opened for us. Down to verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. The phrase in verse 19, holy places, can also be translated holy sanctuary. Um, In the Jewish temple, the holy sanctuary was the most sacred room in the temple, and only the great high priest could enter it, and he entered it one day a year. One man could enter it one day a year on the Day of Atonement, to make a sacrifice that would cover the sin of God's people, that God's grace was manifested through this one man in this one room. And then the entirety of the book of Hebrews reveals Jesus as the final and great high priest, that that one day, once a year, looked forward to Jesus and what he would do. Except Jesus did not just make a sacrifice for us, He was the sacrifice for us. By his own blood, he covered our sins so that we can all enter into God's presence, into the sanctuary of God's presence. It's why churches traditionally have called rooms like this the sanctuary. I realize it's not as cool to call this room the sanctuary anymore. But the reason why traditionally it's been called the sanctuary, the holy place, is because this would be the gathering presence of God's people. And you don't see this as much today, but after the Reformation, uh, some churches and denominations would paint their front doors red as a reminder for every time you entered through and under those doors, that when you enter the sanctuary, you enter with confidence because you enter under the blood of Jesus, poured out for us. Now, you don't enter in in order to get something from him. You enter in with confidence because you have received something from him. The gift of Christ. And God has hardwired us to gather and to be worshipers. Again, not just worshipers, but communal ones. You've never met somebody in your life, regardless of what they believe or don't believe, that does not worship. Everybody worships. And everyone desires to worship shared things with others. We want to praise and we want to praise with others because praise shared is praise multiplied. Praise shared is praise multiplied. It's why David writes in Psalm 34 Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Being prone to praise with others is not a matter of your personality, it's a matter of your personhood. I, personally, am always reminded of this, especially this time of year. Some of you may know the NFL season starts today. Hundreds of thousands of people will gather in football stadiums across the country. And what will happen across these stadiums is that people will file into their section, into their rows, and they will meet others around them for the first time. Awkward small talk to begin. And in the span of a few hours, many of those people we'll get to a point where they are full frontal bear hugging as they cheer for a bunch of guys who put on pads and hit each other nonstop trying to get a brown ball across a white line. That's going to happen all across the nation. It's going to happen in our living room, and Caden and I will be amongst the masses. Why? Because praise shared is praise multiplied. God gathers us to glorify him for who he is and what he has done. We gather to exalt God. And before that is commanded to us, it is just gloriously fitting for us. Uh, Brian, one of our elders prayed in his prayer this morning, mentioned the parable of the prodigal son. I didn't tell him to. It wasn't planned. But if you know about that story, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells this parable. It is a story of a father welcoming back his son who rebelled against him who left the family behind went his own way, did his own thing and years later the parable says he came to himself he came to his senses and he returned home in shame and yet the father never stopped looking he was always looking for his son to return And when he saw his son return, he ran to him, and he hugged him, and he did not allow his son to remain in shame, but rather he covered that shame with unconditional love. And there's another brother in this story. It's the older brother. And the older brother stayed behind. He was the good son, the hardworking son. And he was struggling when he saw his dad lavish this love and plan a banquet for the prodigal son. And he's angry, and he steps outside, and the father goes to him. And this is the final line of the parable. Luke 15, 32, the father says this to the older son, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and now is alive. He was lost and is found. Before gathering to exalt God with the church is commanded to you. It is beautifully fitting for you to celebrate and be glad. For we were dead and are alive. We were lost and are found. And so the joy in gathering is not contingent on your past, it's not contingent on your current circumstance, because we know, we full know that we come in and out of this sanctuary in the midst of all the ups and downs of life that we navigate in a fallen world. And so this gathering is an anchor for us all. There are weeks you're going to come in with tears. There's weeks you're going to come in with laughter. There's going to weeks you come in with sorrow and weeks you come in in gladness. But beneath it all lays the foundation that we all enter through the red door where our shame is covered with love. And so we draw near. On Sundays, we gather to exalt God. Number two, we gather to edify one another. So the very act of what's happening here, of gathering together to exalt God vertically in worship, simultaneously, meaning at the same time, works to edify or build up one another horizontally in community. As we exalt, we edify. And we are edified in the presence of others. So again, if your Bible's still open, Hebrews 10, if you just kind of scanned your eyes through those verses, 19 to 25, you know what you'll see? You'll see plural pronouns throughout. Since we have confidence, let us draw near. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Let us consider how to stir one another up. And how is that done? First and foremost, by not neglecting to meet together. You cannot effectively encourage those you never see. You cannot be consistently encouraged by those you rarely interact with. Uh, Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20 to the church in Ephesus. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the vertical and the horizontal in those verses? Paul says, sing to the Lord, be grateful to the Lord in your heart, but do it to one another. God uses this horizontal dimension to fill out the vertical. It does something in us, It builds us up, and in this passage, specifically, to sing to one another. I don't want to be legalistic here or claim that churches that do what I'm about to say are in sin, but there is a very clear reason why we keep our lights on in our gatherings. We want you to see each other. And we care to a point of aesthetics, we care that things look good in a way that will be conducive and not distracting to worship, but I want you to see each other, particularly when you sing. And we don't want to make our time of singing look like a concert, where it's dark, 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 and then it's lights on stage where you have these awesomely talented musicians performing worship for you. No, Ilya and the music team, each week, they seek to lead worship, not perform worship. And I can share this about Ilya. Um, When when we have staff meetings on Monday morning, each week, you know, part of that meeting is to reflect on the gathering and to talk about it. And in the times that we talk about the music, um, I, I can say Ilya, and rightfully so, as he should, does care about quality. He does care about pursuit of excellence and good preparation and how his team sounds but I can say that I know the times when I've seen Ilya moved the most in staff meeting tears welling up in his eyes or when he says I could hear them singing in the midst of all of our instruments I could hear the congregation singing. They were singing. That's what makes worship move. The team is unbelievably important in leading us to that place, but it's the congregation that empowers our time of worship. And so a couple things with that. It's on us as the leadership of the church to pick songs that can be sung, that are conducive to congregational singing. And I think I would say most of the time we do And to be honest, sometimes we miss. Sometimes we put songs out there and realize, no, no one could sing that. It sounded good, but no one could really sing that or maybe ever sing that. And I admit that that happens. But if we are faithful in choosing and leading songs that can be sung, then we exhort and encourage you, the congregation, to sing because it will build all of us up. And I, for one, and you, you ask anyone who ever sits in this section, not a good singer, here, all right? Can't carry a tune, never could. And there are aspects of me that struggles with self-consciousness, like there's a reason I sit in the front row, all right? All right, like I'm, like, I'm, I'm hopefully not harming the team, I'm just harming that wall, all right? But, um, but, but, but there are the, the times that I know, not I have to get outside of my own discomfort, outside of my own self-consciousness, are the times when I hear people behind me singing that the spirit uses that to stir me up to not care so much about myself to get into the songs i want to join that weekly chorus i'm built up and even a terrible singer like me god can use to build up others and you could extend that we don't have time to extend how that impacts every element of the service but every role of the service has a role in building up the body Because every element is rooted in the Word and empowered by the Spirit. We try and abide by what is called the regulative principle in our gatherings. What is the regulative principle? Simply this. We read the Word. We sing the Word. We pray the Word. We preach the Word. And we partake in the Word in the Lord's Supper. And it is ordinary, and it is weekly, And it is a biblically rooted approach that brings about, by his spirit, extraordinary transformation and perseverance week after week. And this is so important because the impact of the gathering to edify his people is not only dependent on what happens in these rooms for these 75 to 80 minutes but it's in some ways uh, even more dependent upon the way you will live your life outside of these walls Monday through Saturday. Meaning, if we are pouring ourselves out for the glory of God in our day-to-day lives, and we're actually trying to think about how the gospel shapes my marriage and my work and my hobbies, and how I engage with culture, how I love and serve my neighbor, if we are to really do this in the midst of a fallen world where we're struggling against our own flesh and our own sin— And we're tempted to be drawn away from God and towards the world. And where we have to process tragedies like September 11th in the news. And we have to navigate relational tension in our own homes. If we are pursuing God in the midst of that, we will crave the gathering that will build us up. And so I personally yearn to live the kind of life that is so Christ-centered that I need this that I need this in order to keep going out there. Because we are edified in our presence and we are edified in our serving. That when we serve on Sundays, we play an active part in building others up. This morning, across two services, there will be uh, somewhere between probably 35 and 40 members who are coming to this place knowing they're coming to serve today. Nursery and kids' worship and the tech team, and the hospitality, and the security team, and the worship team, that when you are serving, you are actively building others up, and as A.J. I think beautifully said in the announcement video, you also receive the encouragement in Christ as one who is serving for his glory and the good of others. And as we say often, and will continue to, a healthy church is not where some people serve all the time. It is where all people serve some of the time. And we hope that will increasingly be true here because that will reveal a maturity and understanding in us that this gathering is not just for you, but God can actually use your service and your giftings to build and serve others. On Sundays, we gather to edify one another. And then, lastly, number three, we gather to evangelize the world. We gather to evangelize the world. At the end of this passage in Hebrews 10, the author gives a subtle but clear reminder. We gather, we don't neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, to persevere to the end. And again, if your Bible's still open, look at the very end of verse 25, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What do you notice about the word day? It's not a day. It's the day capital D. Because this refers to judgment day. The day we will all stand before the Lord. That the weekly gathering is directly, not indirectly, connected to judgment day. Because those who enter by the red door, those who are covered by the blood of Christ, will stand restored and cleansed by faith. Judgment day will be the best day of your life. Because the God of the universe will look at you and say, Well done, good and faithful servant, because of Christ. And those who are not covered by the blood of Christ, those who persisted in trying to justify themselves, will be judged forever. And it reminds us, in a way, sobers us, not only for the vital need and hope we have for Christ in our perseverance but that there is a day coming when the mission of the church to make disciples of all nations will be no more. And so in the gathering, each and every week, we remember our calling. And the gathering itself, as Merker writes in his book, quote, is intended to happen before the world's gaze. From the moment God called Abraham to raise up a family, he told him that that family will be a blessing to all families of the earth. And that theme will run through from Genesis all through Scripture to Israel and to the church. This undercurrent that God's people would be his people but not hidden away from the world. Rather, Psalm 18, before the nations. His people will operate before the nations. And so we gather knowing that God delights to give new life to the lost. And Incredibly, he primarily reaches the lost through the saved. Through you, through me, through us. How does he do it? Through the gospel. The gospel is the engine of our gathering. We all need it every single week. For those who are saved, you need the gospel to be strengthened and sustained For those who think they're saved, but by God's grace come to the realization they're not. Maybe they've been in the church for years, maybe decades, but they have come to the realization they've been relying on their own works and their own actions to save themselves. Those who think they're saved and they're not need the gospel. And and, and for those who are here, for those who are watching or listening, who have not tasted and seen the goodness of God, who would readily admit you are far from God. We are glad you are here. And our primary hope for you, in addition to feeling truly welcomed, is that you would hear and respond to the gospel in faith. It is the engine of our gathering. I hope, maybe some of you are asking, well, what is the gospel? Glad you asked I want to uh, walk through Ray Ortland's definition of the gospel. And we'll have it on the screen, too, just so we see it as we hear it. The gospel is that God, through the perfect life, atoning death, and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, rescues all his people from the wrath of God into peace with God with a promise of full restoration of his created order forever. This is why Grace Church, on Sundays, we gather to exalt his name, to edify his people, to evangelize the world. And I want to finish now with another quote from Justo Gonzalez's book that I referenced near the top called A Brief History of Sunday. At the end of the book, he gives a glimpse into a hopeful hopeful future of Sunday for the church. It's not going to be on the screen, but you can just listen. He writes, thus, while Christians gather all around the world to celebrate Sunday, and they do this in myriad different ways, and even while some bemoan the demise of Sunday, laws reminiscent of the Constantinian era, there is no doubt that there is a renewal of Sunday. Of Sunday as the day of resurrection, of Sunday as the beginning of a new creation, and of Sunday as the foretaste of the final consummation. And therefore, Sunday ever more neglected by society at large will become ever more cherished by those who believe future grace 5 years from now 10 years from now a church that seeks to thrive in Bergen county where the idols of comfort and consumerism reign where people are living overwhelmingly busy lives that are underwhelmingly impactful we will be a church Amid a world that increasingly wants to see Sunday as just another day, we will be a church that sees gathering as a protest. This will not just be another day for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity it brings first and foremost and how it reveals your son, for it is in Christ alone that our hope is found. And it is in Christ alone that we base these gatherings upon, that we see this church operate on, Lord, that Christ is the cornerstone. And so I pray, Father, that you would just um, stir our affections anew for the gathering of your church. That we would understand, Lord, that every time that we enter through these doors, to assemble together, we do as a protest against a world that wants to treat this day as just another day. Lord, pray that you keep us from pride. I pray that you keep us from being so consumed with ourselves in our church, but that we would truly see ourselves as a part of the bigger story that you are doing, and that you would work in us so that you can work through us to exalt your name, to edify one another, and to evangelize the world for your glory. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand as we respond in song.